Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. We're coming to you live day two from MJ BizCon 2023, Las Vegas. Really excited and to have Dave Holmes, founder and CEO of Clade9. And Dave and I originally were going to do this like the normal way, and then we had to cancel. I forget exactly what happened. Something techie yeah, or scheduling or who knows happened. So I'm actually, that was a blessing because now we get to do it. Live from Las Vegas, so Sweet. This is way I'm, better. I'm happy to be here with you. Thank How's you. How's the show yeah. going for you so far, Dave? So far, so good. Yep. I mean, uh, walked the show yesterday, and then just spent the rest of the day kind of networking and partying. Not really partying, actually, just kind of networking. Well, but, that, yeah. th- that's good that you were imparting our some of our earlier guests today. We yeah. had to give them Advil on yeah. the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might need some like vodka and some, you know, maybe some dabs, but not. <laughs> yeah. No, I like it. So, um, what? How many MJ Bizcons have you been to? Ooh, I was at the really early ones at the Rio. Yep. I don't really num- know how many there's, there's been, but maybe 2016, 17, yeah. approximately. Ish. So yeah, quite tw- a bit, yeah. Because 20, 2016 and I think 2017, those were both at the Rio. That's right, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah 2016, 17, I went to the Rio. So from the beginning. Yeah, so I w- that was my first one too, 20, 2016. Nice. And I was joking that we stayed next. I wasn't joking, but I was serious, but... It's a joke when I look back on it. We were stayed next door to the Rio at the Gold Coast, which oh, is like yeah. the worst hotel right, right. in America. Yeah. Uh, and it was just like the early <laughs> days of cannabis. We were all I could probably find some worse, actually, but oh. it was probably pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was the worst I had seen and stayed in. But yeah, uh, like, what a ways the industry has oh come God. since 2016. Yeah, it has. Yeah, when the party started to jump like to the next level and you saw like Mike Tyson hanging out, you're like, people are making money now. <laughs> people are starting to make money. Yeah. Well... Of so much that I want to cover on this episode, and really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Can you walk us through a little bit your just journey into cannabis? Yeah. Ooh, there is. A, I started really young. So my first, I'm trying to think, my first memory of cannabis was picking my older brother up from an LAPD station in the San Fernando Valley as like a seven-year-old kid. Wow. For getting arrested for selling weed. Wow. <laughs> and so I was just like. That, that was my first experience. I didn't see the product, but my first conversations about marijuana cannabis was about seven. And how he, old was your brother? He was, let's see, he's about 13. Okay. Yeah, and he was already, you know, selling. Right. So I grew up around a lot of drugs. Okay. So it was pretty normal, yep. you know, so by nine I was already using. So that same brother, of course, <laughs> bad influence, he got me into selling weed. He was like, yo, we got the stash from my uncle's house. You're going to start selling it to your friends? And I was like, sure. And so that was my first experience actually touching at nine. At nine? And consuming. Sell, salesperson and consumer. <laughs> Sales and consumer. Nine years old. Nine. I think you were the, uh, of every podcast guest that we've had on, I think you got into the industry the earliest. Oh, wow. Well, like for age-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know anybody that started selling <laughs> cannabis before age nine until I met you, Dave. <laughs> I don't know what somebody to be proud about, but no, thank I you like to that. my brother Mark. Thank you to Mike. <laughs> yeah, my brother Mark. He was up. Mark. Yeah, good guy, good guy. But um, yep, that was my first experience. And actually, at the same time, before I started selling, I saw my uncle was cultivating uh, in, in his backyard in the LA area and actually harvested some of the buds. That we ah. sold. So, you know, I touched a plant and kind of sold it. Um, but I was only around it for a few years at that young age, got into a lot of trouble, and it was kind of like straight and narrow for many years after, and then came back to it. So when you were on the straight and narrow um, in your career, what, what kind of stuff were you working on I during was, that time? Um, I was just, you know, focusing on like, you know, 
sports and school, um, I ended up getting my master's degree in math. And during my grad school years, I met a friend who is also a math major right. who is growing indoor. Okay. And so that was like, huh. He had a big bag of weed in his pocket while we were prepping for some crazy math test. And I could just smell it. I'm like, yo, what is that? And he showed it to me. I'm like, all right, this is pretty fire, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, how did you get this? And he was like, oh, I grew this in my hydroponic grow room. And that's where he showed me the grow room. And that blew my mind. I'm like, you could do this inside? Like, I didn't know you could do indoor grows. Right. And that was like in the late 90s. Um, and so I was like, I want to start doing this. And so I called my brother, of course, and he's like, yeah, I've been doing Mark's this. Back. Yeah, yeah. He was, I've already been growing for the last 10 years. And so he kind of like started teaching me. Um, but that's how I got into cultivation. That was like what sparked the re re-entrance. Yeah. And then walk us into, you know, mm. how did you go from, you know, growing with your brother and friend to actually moving in to the California? Like, yeah. So, I mean, I was always industry. growing in California, yep. um, in the LA area. Yep. And, um, you know, just like you kind of get, Ed Rosenthal had a great quote. He's like, weed isn't addictive, but cultivating it is. And uh, I felt it just kept like, Oh, I wanted, you know, you, it, it's kind of like a nerdy science, you know, you build like a laboratory and as like a, you know, acad academic background, I'm really interested in like, oh, I could change these variables and try to solve these solutions. And there was no real great information on the product. So that really got me interested. And I was like, oh, I could really kind of, you know, try these different things. And it was really hard. So you kept failing and failing. Um, but it just made me want to go bigger and try more. And it's kind of that's what started the, I guess, the passion. And so Clade 9, um, how did you actually start the business that's now you know, yeah, it was a long one, of the, journey. Yeah, one of the most well-known brands journey. in California? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, in the that, like, late 90s, early 2000s, first, you know, three or four years, it was really just growing in a closet, growing in a garage, growing in a bedroom. Um, and then there, it just seemed like there was like a kind of a snowball effect. Legalism, Prop 215 happened. Yep. Um, in, in California, there was a Senate Bill 420, which basically kind of outlined how 215 works. Right. And that one, you, you, you kind of... What kinda, year was that? Uh, 2004, okay. I think. And that kind of gave the industry some guidance on like, here's how you could kind of legally cultivate and make it work. And so that motivated going bigger, yep. um, like, you know, getting an attorney, forming like a collective. Um, and so you started to see dispensaries popping up. Um, and, you know, just, it was a gradual evolution getting, you know, four lights, six lights, 18 lights, 60 lights. Um, and it was just more trying to get better at what, what your craft was at that point. There was no thought of branding. You know, it was just like, I want to grow better weed, you know, um, and that was the motivation. And who, and at that time you're selling, is it mostly word of mouth is who you're selling to? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, it was still really risky. Right. Right. So you tried to keep a really tight circle. Low profile. Um, you know, you had three or four cell phones, maybe more, you know, yeah. it's just like really, you know, you could get pop, get federal time. So you tried to be really careful. Um, but with the dispensary networks that were popping up, that's kind of where you, you started to, you, as a, grower, you're a vendor, you bring your product, you show the retailers, and um, you start selling to the dispensaries. That was the main outlet. So at this point, you're continuing to grow. You said, you know, you're growing from 10 lights, 20 lights, 30 yeah. lights. At what point did it become 
clay nine and like yeah. a real right, legitimate right. business? That's a, that's a great question. So um, 2009, right? So now I'm like already 10 years in, and there was a there, there was a new proposition on the table, Prop 19, which was the first recreational cannabis bill. And we thought it was going to pass. So like, hey, this is the point. Let's start a company. So we actually started a company called Canagen. Um, right. It was, it was before Clay 9. And we, we just formed that because we thought, hey, we better get in on the legit side. Um, but it didn't pass. Mm. So we ended up, well, we're in the same place we were. So we decided to turn into a consulting company. And we started to, to help out-of-state operators. Um, but so Clay 9, as, as a brand, didn't actually be formed until 2015. It was really when California itself got kind of, it didn't get its act together, but we thought it was going to get its act together. Right, so like, this is, now we should launch our own brand. So right. about 2015 is when we formally came up with the idea of Clay 9. And, you know, what was the early days of actually forming the real business? Because like you said, you yeah. had to go from kind of keeping a low profile, right, right. doing this in um, the gray market yeah. or full-blown illicit market right, right. to now making and transitioning into a into the legal market, legal yeah. regulated market. Uh, you make so many mistakes, you know, you're like, that, that transition is super difficult and you fuck up so many things, you create like, you meet a lawyer, it might not be the right lawyer, they give you the wrong advice, you create the wrong entity structure. So it was like a, you know, I mean, even now, I, I think I'm still learning, obviously you're always learning. As someone is in a business, but um, <clears throat> it was a difficult transition. You kind of had to figure out, like, no one knew what a cannabis entity, how it had to be structured. Right. So we went through a bunch of transitions, a bunch of attorneys that were trying to figure out, like, how do you do this the right way? Right. You know, so you could protect yourself federally and actually have profit. So um, that, it was a lot of ups and downs, changing directions, and finally kind of settling out, like, this will work. Let's do this this way. So fast forward to today, can you kind of give us like a state of the business now? Like yeah. how, how, how big are you guys? Like just talk to us about the business today. Right, yeah. So, uh, so the brand Clay 9 has an operation in South LA. Uh, we have about, tw about 20,000 square feet of indoor. And our goal is to get the full retail distribution, which means everything that we cultivate will go into our packaged products and we sell. Right now we're about 65, 70% and the rest okay. goes to bulk. Um, we're probably doing about 4.5 million in revenue. Nice. Most of it's branded. Um, and we, we've sold into over 200 stores now. Wow. And it's been like a really tough fight. Now, you know, California is very difficult. Like there's so much competition. Retailers are turning over left and right. So, you know, out of those 200 stores, we probably have like a good 100 customers that are continuously buying. And, we're, you know, we're always looking for like really good partners. Um, but it's, it's a lot of work. It's a, like a knife fight in the phone booth, for sure. And there's always, you know, fires to put out. But, you know, we know California is difficult. We want to keep going and trying to, like, just get past the craziness. It's a total nightmare, regulatory-wise, tax-wise. It's a tough market. So we're looking into other markets. So we're... Um, we got a license in New Jersey. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And you do um, a lot of work there, so we can help you there too. Hey, we need it. <laughs> and the you know, the badging process there for employees is a challenging one. A little bit different than yeah, California that right. the employees have to get a badge and it has to be attached to your license. And so we do a lot of work there with helping the workers get All right. the badge. We're gonna need your help because yeah, I have to staff sure. up a lot of people quick. Okay, good. Um, I'll talk to you that after we'll, the Yeah, after we'll the talk off the podcast. 
podcast. We'll, um, we'll loop our salesperson, Logan, in. <laughs> Get on it. I'm going to send you some. I have like 20 positions to fill. 20 positions. <laughs> Don't leave. Yeah. Um, okay, but, so, um, so anyway, so you're So now we're trying to, to go, we're looking to expand to Jersey. Um, we know that that market is in a good place. You know, it's not like too overly saturated yet. And there really is like a lack of high quality product. It's mostly MSOs. So we know that if we bring our really high quality California product um, and some other brands with us, we'll do really good out in New Jersey. So we have a, a really big warehouse. It's like 130,000 square feet. Holy cow, so this is gonna be much bigger than the 20,000 square feet in it's California. It's way bigger, but we are phasing it. So we're starting with about the same size, okay. and then kind of like phasing over time. It's just too much to bring on at once. It's yeah, well, really 100,000 square feet. There's no money available. No one right. to invest in that. Right. So, um, so that's where we are. We just got our approval. Um, we ordered metric tags. I think this week. Wow. And so we will be bringing plants in in about a week or two. Holy cow. So this yeah. is. It's coming. So you're going to be quick. spending a lot of time in New Jersey. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of time. Backing up and going back to um, the, the California market a little bit. We know we hear from our customers and just industry peers like <clears throat> it is a shit show is what people say <laughs> oh, to yeah. us when they describe it. Like right. as an insider that's on the ground, like what is making it be such a mess in California? There's a lot. I mean, number one, taxes are way too high. Um, taxes are way too high. It, it's really expensive to get in as a regulated operator. So then you kind of burn all this capital getting to operate. And then there's so much illicit market competition and there's no enforcement. Right. So it's like I spent all this money to get regulated and, you know, um, I'm trying to do it the right way. You're paying all these taxes. And then because of that, Right, you're competing with an operator who has a shop maybe down the road who doesn't pay taxes, and it's really unfair. It's, like it's, you it's tried really to do tough. it the, you tried to right. do everything by the books yeah. and do it the right way, and now you've got Joe Schmo down the street who's not doing yeah. it the right way. And I way. know Joe Schmo, and you he's know a homie, but yeah, Joe Schmo's your <laughs> at friend. At the same time, you know, it's like yo. But I mean, to be honest, California is such a shit show. Like, you know, the the regulators aren't doing anything. Like, the the cops aren't doing anything. Not not that I want them to. I don't want them to arrest. Uh, cultivation operations that are illicit. So you don't but want them to arrest Joe Schmo. No, no, of course, you know, but at the same time, there's a, the easy solution is really just to drop taxes where our product can compete with the illicit product. If the prices are the same, let it be a free market. Yes. The problem is when we're paying, you know, someone who buys an eighth at 40 walks out the door at 65 and they could buy the same eighth at 40 and not walk out at 65, they're going to buy that $40 eighth. You know, the consumer is still super price conscious. And, so. and the consumer is super convenience conscious. Like, I, you know, when you think about payments and why payments needs to get solved, we need to make the experience of buying cannabis as easy as using a, you know, DoorDash delivery app, which right. you can yeah. text Joe Schmo, Venmo him. Yeah. And have it delivered to your house. I mean, that's a that's a great experience in the illicit market, and that's just more convenient for people Way easier, and yeah. cheaper. Yeah. And, like, that's what people are drawn towards, but it really makes it unfair for folks like you and a lot of other great people in the industry who are like, listen, I, I want to do this by the books. I right. want to build a legitimate, big, growing business. Yeah. So do you, th again, you think the answer is the state dropping in taxes on, but they how do they to. get it's them the to, way. but how do it's they, the without way. any kind of like, you know, enforcement, how do they get them to pay? The taxes. Who the illicit market? Yeah. Well, you don't. I mean, you can't even. You're never going to stop the illicit market, right? I mean, I was doing it 20 years ago when I could have got federal time. Right. That didn't stop me. Right. It's not stopping them now, especially right. when you get a misdemeanor right. for like unlimited cultivation. So I mean, <laughs> I, I think 
you know, arresting people has never been a solution. It didn't stop people then. It's not stopping them now. The only way is to make the markets equally competitive. Then the cons even if the, I mean, I'm fine, you know, there could be 20 trap shops on my block, but either one, make it so our pricing is the same, or I could sell to them. Right. <laughs> you know, right. one or the other, like, right. like I mean, or both. I mean, it just, it can't be the fact that you don't enforce illicit, you overtax us, overregulate us. It's impossible to survive. It's, it, there's no way you could make it happen. And it's weird, like on the East Coast, it's so overly regulated and there's less illicit competition, but then, it's so overregulated, you know, there's the product quality suffers because of the regulations in a lot of a lot of times. Like the, the lab testing is too crazy, you know, and there's all these, you know, specific conditions that just make focusing on product quality not, yeah. not the, the most important thing. Where California, we could really focus on quality, um, which is why people are coming to California every day to buy product and bring back to their states. What do you think um, about just like the sheer number of brands and businesses in California. Does yeah. consolidation need to happen? Like, it does oh, seem yeah. to me like, I, I heard something like there's like 3,000 brands in California. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, there how was... How is that even um, possible? It's been, I've been watching the data. You know, if you look at BDS data, it's like, there was like 1,100 brands in January. And I think in August, it was like down to 700. Oh, okay. 750. So it is dropping. And those are at least the brands that just have like actual sales. Um, I mean, there's a lot of other brands kind of waiting to get in. But there is contraction. It is really slow. You know, we need it to be faster. <laughs> faster contraction. Yeah, faster yeah. contraction. It's like actually, slow death. It's, yeah, it's, it's a slow death. And it's torturous for us as operators, you know. Because um, nobody, I mean, some people are making money, but not very few people are making money in any part of the business. Cultivation, manufacturing, retail, it's all difficult on the regulated side. Now, how? what are your thoughts on just um, like, Shipping across state lines, like, you know, uh, you hear Florida oranges, right? right like, right. do you think over time this industry moves to a place where cannabis is grown in California and places where it makes sense for cannabis to be grown and then it can be shipped to other states? Oh, or yeah. do you think that uh, be... the industry will unfold in such a way where it's state by state because the <clears throat> states want to bring the businesses, bring the jobs, bring the tax revenue to their states? How do you say it, see it unfolding long term? I think, yeah, I think, I, I mean, hopefully it, it, it unfolds where we could ship, you know, because um, it's not expensive to ship weed, you know, it's not, I mean, I could ship to East Coast super cheap. So, like, um, if someone wants a brand that's producing in California, yeah, why shouldn't they be able to buy it in Florida and just have it shipped or Texas or Alabama, um, just like you can with other products. So I, I do think that that will make a big difference. Of course, once that happens, I mean, you, you might not want to grow in California because it's too expensive. Maybe you go to Oklahoma, right? Or you, wherever, the, like Arizona might be cheaper. But, I mean, the brand still has a presence, I think, um, wherever it has a presence, you know? Uh, but I think the consumer should be allowed to ship and buy from wherever they want to buy. Now, how about uh, 2024, assuming 280E goes away with rescheduling, how much does that help your business? It's hard to know. I mean, I think, um, obviously, we, we have reduced costs because of, our banking is opened up. Maybe we get merchant services, so like it reduces the cash burden, which is really expensive. You have to have like multiple employees to make sure your cash is on point. You have to have courier services picking it up. There's more security, so your costs go down. That that'll help for sure. Um, maybe we could get bank loans. That'll reduce like you know um, these really high interest loans. That'll be great. Um, so I mean, I mean, I think it, I think it only helps. 
right? And, and, and you know, the other thing is, too, hopefully that'll motivate more capital coming into the industry because right now it's so tight. It's so tight. It's so tight. It's like how do you, all these other business, you know, like if you're in tech, you could raise money for a decade, still be losing money, you know, and, and <clears throat> but as long as you're showing progress to kind of get to a goal of growth, then it makes sense to invest in it. But there, there's no such capital in cannabis right now. Us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, Survival yeah, of the survival fittest. Survival of the fittest, for sure. So switching gears a little bit uh, about your, you know, the team and the people that you hire. This yeah. podcast is called the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast, and we have tens of thousands of people coming to banks to try to find jobs in the industry. And so I always like to ask the founders and CEOs, yeah. when you look to hire and bring people into your growing business, you've got right. a great operation in California. You're soon going to have one in New Jersey. You know, it's not just you anymore. What do you look for in people, and what what has been things that have made people successful long term that work? at Clay 9? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's funny, me and a friend had a conversation. We're both kind of founders and kind of industry, we've been in the industry forever. And so, you know, back in the day, the way you looked at people you hired was a lot different. And a lot of people in cannabis like myself, sometimes it's a bad habit of thinking about hiring people like from the old days, because it was about like trust. Like, I'm gonna bring you into my warehouse, like you can't be a snitch. <laughs> you yeah. know, and so you can't think that same way. So it, 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 it took me, and I'm still getting there, kind of getting over like that's not, that's not the main trait. In 2005, if you're bringing someone to your warehouse, the main trait is trust. Trust. More than you will not snitch no matter what. Like someone puts a gun in your face, you're not going to call the cops. So like that is not important if you're hiring for like a corporate facility in New Jersey, right? So it, it's taken years to kind of learn like what are the things I'm looking for and I think you know that trait whatever it is is still I think great you know you want like loyalty you want someone who's really passionate that's really important Um, and you want someone who's dedicated hardworking, um, who's really open-minded that's really important so for the um, for New Jersey when you're building that team out how are you thinking about you know building that team what kind of roles are you going to be yeah. Hiring for across the board. I know um, we're going to talk about it after I mean, a little cultivation bit, manager is like number one. And now do you, um, those people, do you look for them to have, what kind of experience do you look for in your cultivation yeah. manager's previous cannabis experience? Or, or do you want them to not have cannabis experience, more yeah. traditional ag, because you want to teach them your way? Yeah, I mean, I think um, limited cannabis experience is fine. You know, I do like an ag background, definitely, because it's a very, I mean, we're growing a, it's a, what is it, um, CEA, it's a CEA environment, right? Controlled Environment Agriculture. It's very scientific. And so there's people trained in that profession, whether it's like tomatoes or cucumbers, you could bring that skill set to cannabis. But on the quality side, on kind of strain selection side, there's a lot of like nuances that are very cannabis specific. Right. But someone who has like a CEA background, I think I could train them quickly. Um, and it's really is like if they're dedicated, they're passionate, It'd be it, it nice to have a someone who has both, but I could hire from both sides. Someone who's more cannabis focused, doesn't have the academic background, they're really passionate, have a lot of experience, they're open-minded, great. Or they're on the CEA side, fresh out of school, and they want to learn the industry and they're really passionate. I'm open to that as well. On the cultivation manager, you definitely need some management experience, whether it's in traditional ag or in cannabis. So, but I, I just think passion. Um, you know, hardworking, you know, the drive, um, and, you know, like 
someone who understands, there's just operations people that you could kind of tell when you talk to them. Like, right. this is an operator right. because of how they think about things. Very analytical. Um, you know, they, they like data because we're very data specific, you know. Um, and it, so you have to like data to be in cultivation, especially on the management side. If you're just, you know, like an associate, not necessarily. But for that manager position, I need someone strong in data. On the cultivation side, speaking of data, is there any tools or platforms that you've used that have helped you to be more successful? Um, on the cultivation side? Yeah. I mean, a lot of like, a, you know, a technology, obviously, um, just like, you know, from the old days of hand watering to, you know, fertigation systems where you're running the whole facility, and it's doing everything from a, a central computer. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of systems I use software wise. I haven't really found any type of ERP, you mm -hmm. know, we're still really traditional. We have, um, we run a Priva uh, in, in our cultivation that runs our fertigation. Oh yeah. Priva. That's like the AI. Uh, Priva is like a, they have software, but it's more like a, um, it's a, an equipment manufacturer. They create fertigation systems. Okay. It's a different so it distributes, saying, yeah. it distributes the nutrients to the plants. Okay. Um, so we use that on the, on the irrigation side. And then we kind of, one of our partners is like a genius in HVAC engineering. Oh, cool. um, so he designed all our HVAC systems um, and he has a control system that controls the uh, environment. Um, but we use a couple of other sensors. Uh, we've used a, lo a lot of sensors over the uh, years. Growlink, Arroyo, I mean, Smart Bee back in the you, day. You've, had, you've gone through all of the oh tools. I've been going through a lot of things, yeah, for sure. And it's always evolving. You want to find you know, the newest, best thing, but you got to be careful not to just kind of keep doing R&D, right? you got to find something that works. you got to find something that works. So. It's, it is cool when you think about just even when you walk the trade show floor here, like yeah. how many new products come out right. every single year. I yeah. mean, and when we think about being at the Rio in 2016, like none of this, these tools existed. So it right. is fun to see you know, for all the challenges that we've had, we have oh, yeah. made incredible progress as an yeah. industry, which leads me to my last and final question. Let's assume oh. that we're sitting here, December 2024. What do you hope for the cannabis industry for next year? <clears throat> um, the banking, you know, federal legalization, potentially. Um, I just don't know how it's going to shake out. But um, uh, for California specifically, <laughs> Dropping the taxes because that's where a lot of my energy is spent right now. Just trying to like keep it going and making sure we survive. Um, but really, we need tax help in California. That would be my wish for 2024. I've tax been help, everybody. We <laughs> please tax stop. help. Yeah. If you're uh, a politician listening to this podcast, tax, we need tax, tax help. help. It will help us create more jobs, yeah, that's right. more tax revenue. Tax help and then let us sell the illicit jobs. <laughs> there you, you go. Know, like, you're not stopping them already. Might as well make sure they have regulated product. Might as well make sure. Well, Dave, it was awesome to have yeah. you on the show in Vegas. I'm so All glad right. we were yeah, able to do you. this. And thank you for your time. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.